Coming to you from the great wide north, it's your weekly dose of sports news, thoughts, and more. Two guys, one act, and all of the sports, it's the Halftime Brewskies Podcast. No, 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 that's unbelievable. You're kidding me. Dude, that is ridiculous. Really? That's what you think? No, no, no. Hello, friends. Welcome into this episode of the Halftime Brewskies podcast. Back at it again. Another episode for you in the books. I hope you're having a lovely day because we're about to brighten it up if it isn't lovely. And we are talking about sports today, as you might have guessed, because it's the Halftime Brewskies podcast. It is a sports podcast, so we cannot do anything else before we talk about Francis Ngannou's knockout and actually it was a pretty unbelievable UFC 260 card all the way through there were insane finishes throughout throughout the night and it was highlighted and capped off by a stunning performance in Francis Ngannou and Steve Miocic 2 which of course we will get to but James there was a guy before who you just before we started recording called a new a young conor mcgregor a new conor mcgregor the new conor mcgregor the next conor mcgregor i think is the what next, i said oh the next conor mcgregor we were clo- i was close we were we were close with that one yeah okay yeah. hit just hit a couple us. words different no it was definitely that i i'm gonna be honest i didn't watch all the fights that night but i watched the last three and the most important ones the most important ones exactly and just I think anyone who's kind of been following the UFC in the past kind of few months and kind of last couple of cards is, is Sean O'Malley or, or, or as everyone likes to call him rainbow. He is probably one of the best up and coming fighters probably in the UFC because he really has that kind of that showmanship and that kind of extra something to him. And, that, and that's something that it's, it's just so reminding me of, of a young Conor McGregor and the kind of way he carries himself and that kind of almost arrogance and, but also just kind of the way he fights and the unpredictability of his striking. So I think that's why I was kind of making the, the kind of comparison between them, because I mean, when Conor first came onto the scene, no one really knew what to make of him. He was kind of this flashy, arrogant guy who just yeah. had the ability to kind of strike you with, anything from anywhere any, any, anything yeah. from anywhere exactly and so that's yeah. i saw a lot of parallels between uh between sean o'malley and, and conor mcgregor which was which was very fun to see because that was probably one of the most fun fights of the night and just his ability to kind of strike and quickly and just you know backwards leg kicks and and kind of attack attack his uh attack his guy from anywhere yeah well i mean it was a it was a great fight and i wonder if the UFC, I mean, I think it's probably accurate to say that it's kind of straying away from that brash, trash-talking type fighting arena now. I mean, like, you used to have, you know, McGregor is a different animal, and a lot of people say that the reason he lost against Poirier the second time was, well, the loss against Poirier in Poirier 2, was because he wasn't trash-talking as much, and, and that's where we've seen Connor drop off a hill whereas you know his best fights when he's trash talking like now that we don't have the Diaz brothers in Colby Covington has kind of been sidelined or or forgotten about we're kind of shifting away or at least organically shifting away from the UFC trash talking thing do you think that's a good thing for the sport or is that kind of negative and that's why Sean O'Malley is standing out so much I think it's a negative to lose that because when you got to think in the past few years when the UFC has been at its peak it's when you can build in those rivalries. I mean, like the Nate Diaz and the Conor McGregor, that drove so much fan interest in the UFC because yeah. there was an actual kind of hatred between the two. So I think the, the trash talking, whether it's for show, whether it's for you know actually problems with the guy and deep down, I think it really does help. Because this is a combat sport. Like, like we want there to be hate between the two people because that's just, that's what we're watching. We're watching two people fighting. And so to pretend anything different is, is just stupid. So I think the UFC getting away from kind of that is almost kind of losing a bit of its luster and it's a bit of emotional appeal. So 
from just my perspective, and I think from, from other fans' perspectives, it's nice when you have that really kind of deep kind of hatred for, for different fighters and stuff like that, and that usually comes out through trash talking and arrogance yeah. and kind of being very, very outspoken in their media coverage. Yeah, there's definitely a difference between the fake trash talking and the real trash talking and real hatred. There is... Well, and there has been some infamous quotes that have come out of the UFC, mostly coming from Derek Lewis, but a former champion who was the second to last fight on the, this UFC card, Tyron Woodley, came out and said in a kind of very, you know, vintage Tyron Woodley way, oh yeah, it, about his loss, oh yeah, it was going really well until it wasn't. And that's like, yeah, no shit, it was going really well until he got knocked out. But I will agree with him. It was going really well for him until he got knocked out. Like he had a, it was a Tyron Woodley that we hadn't seen in three or four fights that was purposeful and actually going out, trying to knock people out, vicious headshots. And he just couldn't quite get the break. And then he got caught. It's such an interesting take because the Tyrone Woodley of four years ago, was just so dominant so dominant and the fact that it's like it was going well till it wasn't well he was showing us something that we hadn't seen in probably two years so what, what you know he wasn't dominating the fight but he was at least showing some drive and he was on the front foot and he was attacking and then mm -hmm. he got caught and as soon as he got caught you saw his legs turn to butter and then it was just survival mode then he was just scrambling for the next you know minute until until he got knocked out but well, that fight I mean, should, it should have been stopped, though. It should have been, like, the first time he was really staggering towards the cage, if if the UFC is serious about fighter protection, that fight should have been stopped before the second barrage and then when he went down. Yeah, yeah. Though Tyron Woodley did have, he did go up against the cage and then he, he was taken to the ground. So, like, the, like, there was, like, okay, he is still somewhat fighting there. But uh, yeah, I agree that everyone, including everyone, everyone watching that fight, could see that Tyrone Woodley wasn't wasn't present. That he was no, not at all. He was there. Were, he had no legs. He was just a bit out of it. So it was tough to see. But I think that was the official end of Tyrone Woodley. Um, he hasn't had a good fight How? in two years, and and yeah. and he was already kind of on his last legs. And this was his pun intended one shot, literally. But <laughs> this was his one opportunity to kind of get back into it and he just the way he went out and just the way he was dominated after after his strong start because he was dominated i think i think it's i think it's done for him and it all set up a grandstand finish with stipe and francis and you know it's so it was such a weird build up to the fight because everybody and this is partly because joe rogan said it so many times and Daniel Cormier backed it up so many times is that Stipe is the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. And I think people would still stand by that, even though he lost um, because he came up against Francis Ngannou, who as everybody else knows is a freak of nature when it comes to so well, so many things, but his punching power is, is unrivaled. And actually I think it'd be really interesting to see Francis Ngannou in a heavyweight boxing bout. And I mean, that's not to say that Francis Ngannou would be able to hold his own against uh, Tyson Fury or an Anthony Joshua, but I think a, a fight a with Wilder. Deontay... Yeah, I think a Deontay yeah. Wilder would be a phenomenal fight because they both have a racing power with their hands. But I think actually Francis is probably a better boxer because Woodley, uh, Woodley... Because Wilder's a bit random in his, in his attack. But sticking with this UFC fight... What did you think of it? I wasn't like, here's the thing, like looking on Twitter and, and, and kind of all the social media afterwards, I think there was a lot of people who were, who were surprised the way it ended. And, and, and granted, look, Stipe is, as you said, kind of viewed as one of the greatest or if not the greatest heavyweight the UFC has ever seen. Yeah. But from, from me personally speaking, I wasn't surprised whatsoever at the outcome. I was full on board with Francis Ngannou because he's just he's just such a freak of nature and he's, and he's so much better from that first fight 
Yeah, and he's and he's him. a lot smarter of a fighter now because you can see he wasn't just going out swinging because that's what he did in the last fight, and then Stipe was able to time it and then just take him to the ground and kind of do his thing. He he picked his moments. He was very clinical in his striking, and when you had, when you add clinical striking to the power that he has, it really is an unstoppable combination. So I wasn't personally surprised by that fight. Um, I love Stipe, so it was kind of tough to see him. Yeah, get it was it out, was, and it was tough. And the way to see it was, yeah, him fall on that knee like that, and just it, it was, it was, it was a little heartbreaking, kind of just because you kind of felt it was the end mm-hmm. of Stipe. But I love Francis Ngannou, so if oh, anyone was going, yeah. if anyone was going to beat Stipe, I'm glad it was Francis because I think he deserves it, and I think he deserves that belt. Absolutely. And I think he is the future of the weight class because he's, I mean, now the rumors, we can get into them if we want to, but, you know, uh, maybe him fighting John Jones. Yes. I mean, that well, has to I happen. mean, you did, you did steal my next, my next question um, in that. Yes. Obviously everybody's talking about the next, the next fight has to be John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. And, so it's you know I found it so interesting because so many people have instantly already written off John Jones and it's why it's what makes it such an interesting fight because Stipe granted might be the you know greatest heavyweight of all times John Jones is arguably the greatest MMA fighter of all time across yeah, weight classes yeah. across divisions well it's the same thing um, but you know it's just John Jones. Like, you know how Francis is a freak of nature because of how strong he hits? John Jones is a freak of nature for everything combined. His athleticism, his movement, his vision, his technical ability, his striking, his kicking. Like, we're talking about all of the assets that you would want in an MMA fighter. John Jones possesses them and has shown that even in difficult fights, he's able to read opponents and find a way to beat them. Now, granted, I mean, one of the really interesting things was in that fight with um, Stipe, Francis stuffed a takedown attempt. And that's how everybody originally thought that John Jones would take Francis Ngannou down, was that he would just take him down to the ground and then submit him because, you know, Francis Ngannou's wrestling game is unknown or, you know, effectively because his fights haven't last never gets 30 seconds (laughs) yeah like he just knocks people out he's fought what seven minutes in five fights well so this so in the last his average fight time he has the shortest average fight time in heavyweight history with average fight time of five minutes and the only reason it's five minutes is because his first fight with stipe went as long as it did Everything else has been finished within like a minute and 30 seconds max of his last I know I honestly think he's fought seven minutes in five fights it's unbelievable um, but before we talk about what well, I get, I mean, I guess just very preliminarily, what do you think of a Francis Ngannou John Jones fight? Apart from it being that it will break every record the UFC has. Yeah. Besides the fact that I need that fight, it would be very interesting to see because pretty much every fight that John Jones has had, he's been the superior athlete in every single yeah. one of those fights. He's, he's a freak of nature athletically. And so he, he's fast, but he's bigger than everyone he fights. He's, he, as I said, he's just the perfect combination. He's never gone up against someone as one as big as Francis. And he's not ever gone up against anyone who hits as hard as Francis. No, <laughs> like he, like he, like he might actually be the second most athletic person in that, in that octagon, which is, which is nuts to think about. So I, I think that would be create a real, problem for both of them because i'm not i'm not going to say who, who would be the uh who would be the favorite in that because you know john jones hasn't fought in how long yeah but I, a long time i think i think we all all kind of need that because john if if john jones were to go and and beat francis and ganu that that to me is just that that's that's cementing his legacy as the Absolutely. greatest fighter to ever ever fight Absolutely. And I think one last interesting point, and this is one that DC made after the end of the fight, is that everybody's talking about how big Francis Ngannou is, and they're talking about how big he is compared to John Jones. But the last time that anybody saw John Jones inside a UFC octagon, he was a 205er. So 
he was, you know, you're talking about seeing John Jones at 215, maybe 210, 215, maybe 220. But to come in against Francis Ngannou, you're going to see John Jones at 245, 250, 260. I don't, like, yeah, I don't think he could get up to 260, but like well, no. Francis, Francis is 260. I, but he's definitely getting up to 230, 240. Like oh, he's putting on, he's, he's putting on a lot of weight. But that's, a, still, but that's the thing, though. I, for him, don't put on too much weight because you need to speed is going to be your friend in that fight right so, but you know then you look at how is israel adesanya fought against jan blaschwitz like you know there is there's a certain part where you just have to have the weight to be able to pack the punch yeah and and that'll be a really interesting thing but it it does lead me perfectly into a which of these three fights are you most excited for because john jones well so one is I should really have this as a two-fight list because only two are confirmed actually happening. But we're going to add Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier three because that's been talked about and almost finalized for UFC 264. So which of these three fights are you most excited for? McGregor Poirier three, Usman Masvidal two, or TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen? Which is a underground fight, but is gonna be a cracker they're all gonna be great fights so i i guess i guess i'm stuck because i hadn't really thought about but that th- about that tj fight yeah i mean which is soon may 8th personally speaking like i'm just gonna love any conor mcgregor fight so i'm just super excited to see conor fight yeah right but um that tj fight is gonna be really good that tj fight is gonna be really good <laughs> that tj I've fight got- is gonna be really good I've got the TJ fight as the one I'm most looking forward to. Yeah. Um, partly just because I also think Usman Masvidal is probably going to be a bit of a letdown because um, I think Kamaru Usman is so dominant. And I know Masvidal has slightly longer than, what, 10 days to, to prep for this fight, seven days. But, you know, Usman, Usman, is, Usman, Usman is just... Usman will kind of just win. Usman's just... Yeah, he's, he's, very, shows, very, he's very got a chin. He's got a chin. He's got a submission game. He's got a striking game. Like Usman is Usman is one of the more dominant champions we have right now. Yeah. Um, but it'll be really interesting, nonetheless. And then of yeah. course McGregor Poirier three. <sighs> Who knows? It's Conor McGregor going to be able to rediscover anything? Dude. I don't know. It'll it'll get a lot of airtime though. That'll be it. That'll that fight will sell uh, a lot of pay-per-views. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's Conor McGregor. Of course it's going to sell pay-per-views. Of course it is. Now, we are going to swiftly move on, although that wasn't that swift because I paused over swiftly. So we are back in. We are at our fourth edition, our fourth and final edition of the NHL predictions. And this is normally something we do towards the end of the podcast, but we're doing it earlier today because we have like a double header bumper session on baseball coming up in the second half of the show. And that's because it's obviously just around the corner. We've got opening day on Thursday, but we are starting now with the NHL. The NHL West division is our final division for the trade bait board that we have been coming up with. So, of course, as you need no reminder, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, we're talking the Golden Knights, the Avalanche, the Wild, the Blues, the Coyotes, the Kings, the Sharks, and the Ducks. And we're going to start from the bottom. And obviously, get it? There's Drake. Started from the bottom. Start from the bottom. We all got it. We just, you know, are moving on now. Okay. Um... Well, the bottom. Anaheim and there Ducks. There goes all your momentum. <laughs> Ooh, Anaheim. You know who would not be happy? Miss Calderon. She'd be like, "That's not how you ad lib and do your drama, James." Okay, anyway, well, we can uh, we can edit wow. that little sound bit out. <laughs> Triggered. Um, so the Anaheim Ducks are the first team we're going to talk about, and. If we had to pick one of the most obvious teams that are going to be sellers at this point, I got to say it must be the Anaheim Ducks have to be in with the shaft as the most obvious selling team in the NHL right now. Yeah, yeah. They're in their rebuild and they have some 
aging pieces. pieces. Yeah, aging pieces, as we like to say, uh, that definitely need to be gone. Well, who have you got? So, obviously, Ricard Raquel is number one, probably, on their trade, their personal trade bait board. Yeah, yeah. Tough, and I think they're going to... Yeah, tough-ish. Gritty-ish. He's Swedish, so he can't be, you know, too much of that. But, he, yeah, he's he's... He's definitely number one on everyone's board, and, and I think he will be moved just because there is probably a, a big enough appetite for a top six swinger who has skill. Yep. So he, he probably will be moved. They'll probably get, you know, first round pick, or I'm not going to kind of speculate too much on, on what they'll actually get. Uh, but the name I have kind of as a guy who I think will get a lot more airtime in the next kind of, oh gosh, it's only about two weeks now till the, uh, till the trade deadline is Josh Manson. Ah, the old Josh Manson. He's the old Josh he's favorite name to bring up at almost every trade deadline. He's everybody's favorite. Josh Manson, but yeah, yet he never moves. Everyone. Never moves. But I think I think this year might be the year because when you look at how much kind of airtime and attention David Savard's getting, and then Matthias Ekholm. I mean, Josh Manson's just up there with kind of the skill level and the kind of the projection on where you could put them in where you could put him in your uh in your defensive pairings i mean he, he tell me he wouldn't look good on every playoff team's blue line oh easily yeah. there isn't there is probably isn't... one of the toughest guys in the league just absolute shut down gritty defenseman who can knock you out he's just yeah. every team could use him so i think when you have the interest that will be in for him Anaheim's going to have to move him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, Anaheim is just, uh, it's a sorry state. And they're not helped by the fact that they don't have John Gibson in right now. And John Gibson has bailed them out so many times, even he's tired of bailing. Um, We're going to move on to a team that also needs a hell of a lot of help and has an aging roster. And that's the San Jose Sharks. And they have, I thought they might be dark horses to make a late run in, in a playoff push. Um, that is not the case. No. no. That is far from it, actually. So obviously they're in the selling category, but I think it's kind of a weird place. Like, I don't think they have very many assets anyone actually wants on their team. Yeah, I completely agree. They're, they're going to have to sell, but when you look at the roster, I actually don't know what they would sell. Yeah. Like, like it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting and if if i if i had to pick a team that i'd want to be a gm of i'd much rather be a gm of anaheim because you have some really good young players in anaheim yeah san jose doesn't san jose, san jose has nothing just... on the on the roster well okay i say nothing on the roster they have logan couture they have they have big um, names but and... they're all old and signed long term at big cap hits and they have no flexibility nothing. no roster flexibility and it's not like these guys are even performing. I think in our season preview, I thought San Jose might be a team that could get the fourth seed in that playoff hunt because I thought they just had enough talent that if all the guys rediscovered their form, that they could make a push. And I think yeah. I even used the words of, they couldn't be worse than they were last year, right? There's no way. There's no way, and yet. There's a way because they're <laughs> an awful hockey team. Absolutely terrible. And I mean, Evander Kane is probably uh, he, he would be a he'd be a, an attractive piece to trade, but obviously for reasons that we've outlined in past podcasts, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, they need a, they, he's got he needs uh, he's a good problems. Lawyer. Yeah, he need, he's got problems outside the whole hockey thing. So knock knock, Harvey Specter. Exactly, <laughs> a little suits reference there. But yeah, I know. So I have them selling, and you know, Marcus Sorensen or Devin Dubnik as being guys that they could move. But I yeah, mean, I have Sorensen back too. But like, like bring what, back who wants Sorensen? Fifth round picks. And who Sorensen's a bottom, bottom kind of pair, uh, bottom yeah. kind of uh, winger. I have Matt really Nieto too. Yeah. Like, you know, another bottom winger, a veteran presence. He'll get but, you a sixth rounder. Like, like none yeah. of these guys are getting you anything that's going to help you rebuild and. If I'm San Jose, yeah, it, you're in it for the long haul now. I know there's there is no hope, and it's, I mean, I, in a weird way, it's like 
everyone talks about how Buffalo is the worst team in the league, but at least Buffalo have some pieces that are desirable to move. And, you know, and we said, and you just said that with the Ducks, like at least the Ducks have pieces that are desirable. San Jose is a bad team and it doesn't have anyone. It has players that other teams would want, but not capits they have, and they're not going to move Logan Couture. They're not going to move Timo Meyer. They're not going to move Kevin LeBlanc. Like, you know, there were players that they're just not going to move. And well, then an everything else is nothing. It's an interesting point, actually, because, like, if you were to look at Buffalo, like, if you were to say, we're trading Jack Eichel, mm-hmm. every team in the league would be like, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him. Yeah, we'll get, yeah. If San Jose were to be like, we're trading anyone on our roster, I can't think of really any team that's lining up for Eric Carlson right now at that nope. cap hit, even nope. if he was free, even if they were like, you know, just a pick. Because I, I just don't – there's no way that his play justifies his cap hit. So I think, yeah, they, they don't – even their top-end pieces, if they were to give them away, don't even have any real interest in the league. They're, no. they're still good players, but they're just overvalued. And in a cap world where everyone's counting every penny that they spend, it just can't be afforded. Now, a team that has a little more – well – not really flexibility, but they, they're a little further along and they rebuild is the LA Kings. And even though they're a little further along and they rebuild, they're still definitely in a rebuild stage because they are in that kind of weird flux where they have some old, old, old guys like Anze Kopitar, Jonathan Quick, et cetera, et cetera. And I mentioned Jonathan Quick because he is the guy I have circled on my LA Kings printout of the roster here which is not true. I just came up with his name, but I have his name as a, as a potential guy to get traded because he is a solid Stanley cup winning pedigree goalie. And he's been able to backstop a team when it matters most. And I think teams like that, I mean, obviously teams like that because they need that assurance in goal. It'll be interesting to see like for them to move Jonathan quick, they would have to eat 50% of the salary. Like that's the yes. only way that that's going to happen because he does have term left. And I think if Jonathan Quick was an expiring contract, I think you definitely have a, uh, have a couple teams that would definitely take a punt on him as being a guy who can maybe rediscover his form and definitely his kind of competitive nature would really help a lot of teams in the playoffs. But yeah, LA is, uh, LA is kind of going through their rebuild. And as you said, they have some expiring contracts. They got some older guys who still have a little bit of term left, but you know, I don't really see Jeff Carter moving anywhere. You know, I'd be surprised no. if Dustin Brown gets traded. Um, maybe you could see like an Oli Mata being dealt, but it's kind of more kind of preliminary pieces that would be moved because they're not treating it like they have some really good young players. They got some really good young prospects, but obviously they're in a rebuild. And they're not trading any of those guys, but the guys who actually have value, I don't think they're going to deal. Uh, guys like Matt Roy and. I don't even see them trading an Anze Kopitar or Drew Doughty anytime soon. No, so I, I think they're no. just they're. I have them as kind of a seller, but what they really should be is more. I think they're just going to stand pat because I think the contracts that they do want to move are going to be too hard to move, and the guys that teams would want, they're not interested in trading. So, so I think they're just going to kind of stand pat. It's going to be kind of a dull trade deadline for the LA Kings. The Arizona Coyotes are in an interesting position because. We've, I think, well, I say we, almost everybody has pretty much consistently sidelined the Arizona Coyotes. Like, no one has ever thought that Coyotes are ever going to make a deep run at the Stanley Cup. That has been proved because they haven't. Even when they went all in and tried to get tail hall, it didn't work. All of these things have pointed in a direction of there's never going to really be any winning in Arizona. And yet, they find themselves in fifth in the West. And that's partly because the Kings, Sharks, and Ducks are so bad, but also because they do have a lot of quality talent mixed in with some good young players. And when Darcy Campers is not hurt or, or anything like that, a really quality NHL elite goalie. What do you have them down on your list as buyers, sellers, or stand patters? For Arizona, I think Arizona should be very thankful that the Buffalo Sabres exist. Because if not for the Buffalo Sabres, 
I think the Arizona Coyotes would be the most pathetic franchise in the National Hockey League. And whether that's a hot take or not, I don't care because they are kind of a dumpster fire. And yes. I remember when they hired John Chayka, who was their past GM. And he was kind of that kind of new wave of creative thinking, very kind of Kyle Dubesque, you know, you know, analytical kind of next generation of kind of NHL executives. Yeah. And he was, and he was always thought of so highly throughout the league for his ability to evaluate talent. And I look at their roster and I'm like, I'm not really seeing why everyone thought of him in such a high regard because mm-hmm. To me, they're not bad enough to get a top, top pick, but they're nowhere near anywhere good enough to actually do anything like you said. Yeah. So if I'm Arizona right now, the worst place, I think I've, I think we've said this on past podcasts and it really applies to any sport. The last place you want to be is kind of not knowing where you're going, right? For, for a team, you're either going to, Teams, professional sports teams can do two things. They can sell hope or they can sell winning. And Arizona can't sell either right now, right? They, 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 they don't have hope for the future. They don't have really top, top young players. And, they're, and everyone, no one's going to buy them as being a winning franchise. So if I'm Arizona, I, I would seriously consider doing a full rebuild. Not the John Chica kind of half in, half out. We'll go for it here. We'll not go for it there. I mean a full rebuild break it down to the absolute studs and rebuild. The only problem with that is I don't think they can do that in a market like Arizona, because if you do a full rebuild and you're bad, I mean, that, that, that franchise goes under. Right. right, right? But they have, they have so little, like the NHL is not going to let the coyotes they've proven. They're not going to let the coyotes die or be moved is as much as a Quebec city would love to have a team. Well, that's you know, that it, we, we. I think everyone in Canada just views that as more of a Gary Bettman not liking Canada as you know. He's he's kind of staked his claim to Arizona as being, you know, a viable hockey market, and it's not. Um, well, it's it, the only. There's only one way it's a viable hockey market, and that's in what three years? Is it three, four years now? We're not talking about that, and you're not so, bring that up on this podcast. And everyone who and everyone who knows what all he's talking about is rolling their eyes right now, and we're moving on because he's not going there. We're not talking about it. Still has Austin a house Matthews there. Matthews is staying still in. Still has a house there. Uh, Spencer's off seasons there too. Connor Garland, do you, would you if you were the Coyotes? Do you do you trade Connor Garland? I trade everybody to be honest, but yes, Carl, Connor Garland is his, his name has really kind of been floated in the past yeah. kind of not few weeks, I would say, because he's such a cheap cap hit and such a productive player. So yeah, I think if I yeah if I was Arizona, I'm trading Carlin Garland because I think what you could get for him is more than he's actually worth. Okay. So yeah, I have I have them selling, and I think I wrote down everyone. Yeah. Because I, that's just me doubling down on my hot take that they should just break it down to the studs but i mean kemper goligoski jason demers lawson Krause, yeah all the guys who are not going to be part of your future who can generate some picks because they don't they've got a team that yeah they've got they've they've got talent at least that will will bring stuff in so that's they're in a better place than the teams below them in that regard i would much rather be the anaheim ducks than the uh than the arizona coyotes that's because they already have good stuff on their roster. Now, a team that does have good stuff on their roster but has been absolutely destroyed by injuries are the St. Louis Blues, who actually only find themselves one point above the Arizona Coyotes. And I've got them down as buyers for some kind of depth scoring. And I know they just got Tarasenko back, and that's great. But really, that team has been carried by their top line, and they need something else. And so I've got two names down. One is a little more questionable because he's been mentioned a lot, but in Canada, which is Sam Bennett, which I think could be a nice fit. Uh, but also Nemesnikov as a team on Detroit that is trying to move players because they're still in their rebound. And, and Nemesnikov is an expendable talent. And he could provide a little bit of that extra depth scoring punch to the Blues. Yeah, the Blues they've been hit kind of with injuries down the bottom half of their roster and, and kind of the guys who you expect to kind of really drive play on the third and fourth line have kind of been injured. Um, I think they really missed Robert Thomas that now that he's been out, but 
I have them as a buyer because, I mean, in this division, how can you not be a buyer when you're looking at, you know, the competition? Uh, I think one of, the, one of the important things that they're going to have to do is, is really settle that backup position role because unless, unless Bennington is going to play every game, like they cannot trust Billy Huso to no. go in there and give them a solid night. So I kind of floated the idea of maybe a Jonathan Bernier. So, you know, maybe a trade is Jonathan Bernier and Nemesnikov coming over from Detroit to kind of, you know, oh, yeah. one stone kind of thing. But they also, I think, have the ability that if they wanted to go and maybe make a bigger play for Ricardo Kell or Cal Palmieri, that they could probably do that. Uh, the, I think the fact that Mike Hoffman's being getting scratched the past few games is kind of eye-opening mm-hmm. and kind of also lends itself to the idea that they could and might be looking for like a like an actual top six forward that if yep. they're not satisfied with Mike Hoffman in that role, that they might do so. So. I think, yeah, they're, they're going to be buying. And, yeah, as I said, kind of maybe a top six winger or, or a backup goaltender is, uh, is definitely going to be on their shopping list. The Minnesota Wild find themselves in a bit of a weird position. And I say a weird position because they're third in the division right now, but I have them as sellers going in because I think the third is a deceiving position. And I don't actually think they, should re- they really want to be in third. And I think they've got some expendable talent so instead of going in at the deadline, this deadline, it's not their year. They're just playing well and getting good depth scoring and they've got good young talent, but it's not the time to try and trade away picks or periphery pieces in order to get there. So I've got the Minnesota Wilder sellers on my list. I have them as just a standing pat. Uh, more, Because I, I, I agree with you on your evaluation of the team, but I think this it would be very hard to justify selling pieces because I think if you started selling pieces to a team that's in a playoff spot, I think that'd be doing a big disservice to the guys in that room who have been playing above what we thought they were going to be able to. And so if you're like, if you're in third position in that, in that division and you're pretty much thinking that you can make the playoffs and then your management starts selling off players like you're going to take that really personally because you've done Absolutely. the work to get yourself into a playoff position and now they're taking that away from you. So I just have them standing pat because I agree that they shouldn't be sacrificing any prospects or, or picks or anything like that. So I think they're just going to stand pat and let the guys play in the playoffs if they can make it and, uh, and not sacrifice any of their future to do so. I just want to see hockey become more savage and two teams that don't need to be that much more savage because they're so good transitions uh the colorado avalanche and i have them as they have pretty much and we've talked about this consistently whenever we've talked about the avalanche or hockey probably one of the deepest or best rosters in the league depth every position that you would dream of and young prospects that are just would make any team cry where they don't have depth and part of this doesn't really matter because Philip Grubauer has been so unbelievably good, but where they don't have depth is behind Grubauer. And so I think, and that's where you mentioned Jonathan Bernier. I think Bernier is a really strong candidate to go to the avalanche as a backup goalie who can stand on his head in games, but you know, has a chance to just, just be better than anything else they have going for them right now. Yeah. I think anytime anyone kind of mentions that they need, or might be interested in a goaltender. I think Jonathan Bernier's name is the first one that comes up. So I think there actually might be more of a market than than Detroit's maybe anticipating for his services. And I think they might actually be able to get a decently high draft pick and or higher level prospect than they were originally anticipating. But yeah, no, I I, I agree that Colorado is in, is in a pretty good spot. I mean, if they they have the flexibility that if they want to do a Taylor Hall deal, they could. Yeah, they could. Um, but I have an, a kind of an underlying issue for them, which would be a right shot defenseman, because I think at this point now we need to come to the conclusion that Eric Johnson can't stay healthy. Um, he just he's, he's never shown the ability to kind of do so. So if I'm Colorado, you know, not to bring up his name again, but Josh Manson or David Savard would, would kind of fit perfectly into their team because right shot defenseman, who can slide in your top four and just play a really physical game is something that Colorado doesn't really have too much of. They're a very light team in the sense that 
they're not they're not breaking any bones out there, right? So, and when playoff hockey comes, as we all know, playoff hockey is a bit of a bloodbath, as you said. There it's, is. It's, you know, maybe yep. they need to be a bit more savage in, in in a different speaking, but I think David Savard or Josh Manson would really add a lot of uh, grit and to that team. Toughness, yeah. yeah. Finally, the the last but not least, and the last team that we have in the NHL trade bait board bracket is the Golden Knights. That's a team that pretty much needs nothing, by and large. But I've got them down as if they wanted to make a move, they're going to do it on depth scoring. And that's where I see someone like Bobby Ryan or Mikhail Granlund coming in and helping them if they if they want to make that move. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Depth kind of scoring. I had two different names. I had Tanner Pearson or Jake DeBrusque, but along the same ilk. Yeah. Uh, they could also use just another right shot defenseman. Uh, so I have a Brandon Montour out of Buffalo. But yeah, just kind of depth pieces that kind of, as we all know, you know, the playoffs are a war of attrition. So they could probably use some more bodies to just, uh, just kind of formulate and kind of solidify their roster. But because I don't think you're going to find an upgrade on Chandler Stevenson at the number one center role. No. So, you know, unless you're, Though, you know, Vegas makes big moves, but I just that that'll be too hard to do mid season, especially this season. So I think they're just going to roll with what they got because it's been working. Yeah, they do like to be active at the deadline, but that remains to be seen. We'll have to keep you posted if anything big happens, but that is all we have for our NHL divisions. Check out previous episodes if you're wanting to listen. We did them in the order of the North, East, Central, West going back. So have a look at those. They're usually towards the end of the podcast, if you feel so inclined. We're going to switch gears, though, because sniff. Smell that? You smell that 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 salty, sweet? You wait. Can you get it? No. Or can you? Because that's the smell of baseball. Why is it salty, sweet? Because it's sweaty, it's hot, and there's popcorn, and there's beer. So people are crying and drunk and maybe puking. Actually, you know what? To be fair, baseball would be a great show. Show baseball would be a great sport to watch if you could do all of those things. But they closed the beer tents and the beer stalls at the seventh inning, and that is possibly the biggest embarrassment in our world today. I'm gonna put it out there. I well, we all get why they did it, but it doesn't mean it's the right decision. Okay, I yeah, mean, that's they are true. missing out on a lot of profit. Uh, like, you, know, like you got to imagine that like if it was open seven eight nine people were doing a lot of last runs i know and i and i understand why they don't for health and safety blah 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 but like i don't see how it's fair that i have to choose between trying to get on the jumbotron with my ass that don't quit while doing the seventh inning stretch and take me out to the ball game and going to get a beer like they close they don't even they couldn't do- <laughs> They don't even wait until the end of the songs. They don't let me sing my songs and then go and get my beers. It's closed. And it's really upsetting me. Yeah, with, and with a jersey it. like yours, you deserve to be on the Jumbotron. With a jersey You're the like only mine. only Blue Jays fan with that jersey. I am. And so for those of you who don't know, which is literally everyone bar James and two people who stopped me one day going to a game who then asked me to take a picture of my jersey because the guy said, quote, I've never seen it before, and I have a blog that posts authentic, well, authentic rare jerseys. And I was like, oh, thank you. And that's because it's a Daniel Norris jersey. And I bought it maybe 10 days before he was traded from the Blue Jays for David yeah. Price way back when. Yeah. Um, and I paid full price, but I did get two cute little hats, which like not that i don't even know what those like they're like the i don't know what how to describe them but you can't wear them is the point so it was just it was an investment anyway we do all of this because i'm about to hand over control to james um mostly due to the fact that my baseball knowledge is very high when it comes to snacks seating position beer beer positioning on the seats and behind the seats when someone walks in left leg right leg all of these kind of things very adept at that kind of stuff 
where it comes to actual stats and theories and stuff like that, I lack slightly. Um, but me being the generous God I am, the generous podcast host God that I am, I should say, uh, I'm going to pose some questions and this will be our little somewhat brief, somewhat extended, because I know James likes to talk baseball and I've extended this intro on purpose to cut down his time. That would be mean, but it's true. Um, we're going to talk baseball because I've meandered long enough. First off, everybody knows there's the AL and the NL. Surprise question, throwing you off the game here. Which league do you like more, the AL or the NL? What do you mean, like more? Doesn't matter. More Just it, no, no. That is that's the that's the joy of the question. Which do you like more? Like I think the NL is more competitive, but my team plays well, in the AL. So, also, so you like the AL more? To be honest, I actually probably like the NL more. Oh, okay. Well, because <laughs> besides my sucks. Blue Jays. <laughs> Yeah, besides my Blue Jays, I like watching NL baseball more. Okay, great. So on that note, let's start with who you have. And we're going to run through this a little bit first. We're going to have James talk us through who he has picked for the MVPs, the Cy Youngs, and the Rookie of the Years in both the NL and the AL. And of course, I'll throw in some witty little commentary and a little bit of repertoire to, to keep you all interested in this boring baseball nonsense. So the MVPs. Starting off big, MVPs for the NL and the AL. Who you got? Just just before I give all my picks for all oh, these things, I just, want, I just want to let it to be known that I was given a very, very harsh timeline on how long I'm allowed to talk about baseball, which I don't think is fair. I, I, it's you know, Two fest. days till opening day, and I was given less than 20 minutes to talk about baseball, which that makes no sense, but it's always Wait, podcast, and it's always world. We just live in it. So Thank you. On to Appreciate my it. AL Wait, no, because I am going to interrupt again. Back to me. Um, is and that more of my was, time running out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that I was watching the Blue Jays play the Phillies today. And I turned it on in the third inning and it was 3-1. And I got a bit tired. I had a nap. I woke up. It was only the seventh inning. Still a lot of the game left. And it was 12-7 for the Blue Jays. So, uh, you know, baseball's got longevity. Anyway, carry on. So that was a complete waste of everyone's time, waste of my talking time, but I know that's why you did it. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So as, yeah, as you said, I think we're going through the individual awards first. Yes. And my AL MVP pick is probably the easiest one and less flashy out of all of my picks because it is the most predictable. And it's just, I feel like it's going to be Mike Trout again. We're not again, but it back to Mike Trout because, you know, he's kind of been robbed of it. Mike Trout pretty much is the MVP every year, but they just find reasons not to give it to him. So I think this year they're going to have to give it to him again. He's, Go back to the best is, player in the world. Yeah, and, and I think Mike Trout, I do know, has has a legitimate shot at being the GOAT. Oh, 100%. He's like, people just got to remember, he's, he's still only like 28, 29. Like he's, like, he's a lot younger than people think because he's been yeah. around for so long because he broke into the league at such a young age, but. So yeah, so AL MVP, I got Mike Trout. And for NL, I wouldn't say this is a, this is a risky pick because I think he's definitely in the top probably 10 of people's kind of odds in voting. But, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. down Atlanta. Ah, the old Acuna Jr. Acuna Jr., yeah. I think him and the baby Braves are going to be really good this year. So Ronald Acuna Jr. is just a prototypical five-tool player. So I think he's... He, he could get the NL MVP, especially because they brought back Marcelo Zuna to that batting order, which will protect him in the lineup. So I think Ronald Acuna Jr. will uh, will get the NL MVP this year. And fun fact about Ronald Acuna Jr. is that he never introduces himself without saying his whole name. That's a fun fact. He always says, hi, my name is Ronald Acuna Jr. Anyway, just fun facts, you know, thrown in there. Yeah. So what do you want to hear first? Rookie Let's or Cy Young? Let's do Cy Youngs because Cy that's Youngs. an yeah, that's an established player we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, the two Cy Young picks. I'll go AL first. I have Lucas Giolito. Do you know what <gasps> team he plays for? Absolutely. What a Mets god. Mets are in the NL. Yeah. As uh, baseball you, knowledge, right in there. Good that you caught that. No, Lucas Giolito out of out of the White Sox. Tampa. I think. Damn it. We were close. <laughs> 
out of the White Sox. Because I think the White Sox will definitely be one of the better up-and-coming teams in the AL this year. And I think Lucas yep. Giolito has shown that he's gotten better every single year. So I think this is the year they finally kind of puts it all together for a Cy Young caliber season. Shy town, as they call it. Um, and the NL. NL, maybe this is a bit biased because I do have him in my fantasy league. It is a dynasty fantasy league, so I've, uh, you know, I've had him for a few years now. But, uh, and this might be a bit of a controversial pick, but he'd be playing for the Philadelphia Phillies, and that would be Aaron Nola. He's definitely, he's definitely up there and kind of one of the top NL pitchers up there, but you know, I think a lot of people have kind of picked Jacob Degrom or or, or Max Scherzer as kind of being favorites. But uh, Aaron Nola would definitely be my pick for the Cy Young this year because I think uh, as I'll uh, as I'll touch on later, I think there might be some uh, some hidden gold with that team. Ooh, hidden gold, eh? Well, quite, but Max Scherzer is like old, old. I mean, he's like 33, 34? older. He's older than that. Yeah. Did he last win when he was... Is he still on the Nationals? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because obviously he signed some ridiculous 10-year, $200, $300 million contract because that's what baseball is. Um, I remember Max Scherzer when I was a wee, wee babe in arms. So he must be... But this is the question, though. This is just a, this is a thing about shows how great an athlete these guys are. Is that how does he still throw above 90s? Like that's just that's just if, um, I, I nah you know I'm speechless. Yeah, it's it's almost like they're paid to do it. They're paid to do it too. Wow, yeah. I thought this was just a hobby. Uh, rookie of the year, who you got? Rookies, rookies of the year. So the AL, I'm gonna take take the take what everyone's kind of picking. And that'd be Randy Orozarena. Randy Orozarena. Yeah. Of the Tampa Bay Rays, because that's who I, I mean, got too, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't tell whether you're being serious or not, but just based on his playoffs last year and the fact that he's still rookie eligible and the fact that he's going to open on Tampa Bay's roster, which means he'll get kind of a month head start over, over Wanda Franco or Jared Kalonick. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick him, but and those well, two I'll, other guys I mentioned are, are going to be really good. I mean, and I'll just say, you know, the guy you said is your pick. He, he hits the ball well. And he throws it hard. So he's definitely in with a shout. He definitely does both those things. You are correct on that. Yeah, yeah. And who yeah. have you got for the uh, the other rookie there? The NL Rookie of the Year. This one was a bit tougher because I think everyone's taking Cabrian Hayes of the Pirates. Ooh, but I, yeah. was, I, was, I was split <laughs> on these two guys. I think Ian Anderson of the Braves or Dylan Carlson of the uh, of the Cardinals are two of my favorites, and I couldn't pick between them, so I, I, I kind of put them both because I think Ian Anderson, again, maybe I'm overreacting to the playoffs last year, but he was unhittable, unhittable. So I think he is definitely one of the best up-and-coming pitchers, not just in the, in the NL, but in the, in, in the entire majors. And I think Dylan Carlson has had a great spring, um, and so he's going to be playing for a decent team in a bad division. So I think he'll have an opportunity to kind of really be protected in that lineup behind Arenado and behind Goldschmidt. And he'll really kind of be able to uh, drive in RBIs and kind of play, uh, play to his strengths. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, all those names are definitely on, on my list too. I would say that I don't think I have Ian Anderson just because his name is slightly too boring. Um, And I think that that'll probably take him out of the running. That, but like, I mean, that's just me. That's just now, me. Now, what's saying, the boring you know? part? The Ian or the Anderson? Well, it's, you know, like if his name was Ian, but it was spelt with an E, like E E N, Ian, that would be cool. And I would, I would like, yo, this dude, that's worth it. But uh, the fact that I'm assuming he spells his name I A N, uh, you know, that's just, that's just run of the mill. And what you have to do these days is stand out. And his pitching is, is phenomenal. We all know that. But, uh, you know, if, if, like Dylan, that is an exotic name. That's an exotic name that could, that could win you Rookie of the Year. Maybe. I, I've met a lot more Dylans in my life than Ian's, so I don't know how exotic of a name it is. But, well, I guess, I guess you're the host for a reason. I guess I'm just the, uh, the background. But Yeah, hostess well, with the mostess. I'm going to forget that you ever said that. And we're going to go on to teams because I think you did ask me to Damn do dark right horse teams and bust teams. So Ag- absolutely. But first 
contenders, even though it's obvious. Let's spell it out for like you know the other people who don't know much about baseball. Who are yeah. the main contenders this year? For the NL, it's 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 going through the the Dodgers. Gotta be <laughs> like that like is the one thing I do know. I don't say that facetiously. It's the Dodgers. Yeah, it's the Dodgers. I think the Padres will give them a run in that division. Um, but besides that, it's probably the baby Braves who could give them the biggest uh, the biggest scare. So I would say those three teams uh, are probably the biggest contenders in the NL. And then the AL is probably a bit more up in the air because I think traditionalists will say the Yankees are probably the favorites, but the Rays always seem to be able to kind of do it. I think, as I'll kind of mention a bit later, I don't think other teams are kind of up to the task, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how Oakland does. Uh, but I think there's much less really, really complete World Series teams in the AL than there is in the NL. And besides the Yankees, you're probably looking at, as I said, the Athletics, maybe the Rays, and maybe the uh, the White Sox make the jump this year. But uh, the NL definitely. Uh, from the looks of it on the uh, on uh, from the outside, it's definitely looking like the NL is going to be the uh, the toughest uh, league this year. A lot more and competition. If you had to pick a dark horse from each league, who are you picking? Yeah, so for my AL dark horse, I'm, again, I don't know if they're a dark horse because their payroll is so high and they have two of the best players on the planet, but they have just never been able to put it together. But I think the Angels might be able to do it this year. Finally. Uh, Finally, uh, and that's a combination of the fact that they do have Trout and Anthony Rendon, but they also have now a healthy Shohei Otani, and they did make some upgrades to the rotation uh, behind Bundy and Andrew Heaney. So Jose Quintana has looked really good this spring. So we'll see how that kind of goes. But yeah, I have the Angels as being, uh, being the dark horse team because I don't think they ever get any love, and rightfully so because I they're rotation still leaves a lot to be desired but i yeah. still think they uh they're a dark horse definitely within that division because that division is very winnable and they also suffer from the fact that they share a city with the dodgers which is not helping in the dodgers current shape yeah and the, yeah and the dodgers are kind of the talk of the town right and they, and they always will be but i think this is the year that the angels can kind of put together a good season so and then for my nl team as I, as, as, as I was kind of alluding to when I was mentioning my Aaron Nola, is I think the Phillies the Phillies might be able to surprise and get into the wild card. I don't think they'll win the division because, as I said, that division is just the group of death. And yeah. I think the baby Braves will come out with, with that division. But when you look at it, the Phillies are probably going to go up against the Mets for, for kind of second. And, kind of, and then we'll jostle kind of for wild card position. So I think the Phillies are a, a team to watch definitely for this year. And what's your look for the Blue Jays this year, since we're both Blue Jays fans? They got to stay healthy. I mean, they season hasn't even started, and, and Springer's already out. Robbie Ray's going to miss his first start. Nate Pearson's already out. So key contributors are already going to be spend some time on the shelf. And a team that didn't – or we have depth, but we didn't have a lot of depth when it comes to high-end pieces – so it'll be very interesting to see. I think the Blue Jays are going to take a little bit to get going, but uh, I think they could definitely definitely make the wild card this year. I don't think they'll win the division. I think that's just a little too ambitious, and I think that's kind of putting the cart in front of the horse a bit. But mm -hmm. I think they definitely could be a buyer when I come the trade deadline, and definitely uh, definitely put their insane prospect capital on the line to try to pick up a starting pitcher because that's what they still need. And that's what they didn't really address in the off season. But I think the blue Jays are definitely an up and coming team and could surprise uh, the American average fan, because I don't think they get a lot of love down in the States. So that's I think they very could definitely, true. Uh, they could definitely make some waves this season because I think Boston are not very good. I think the Orioles are going to suck, but the Orioles are going in the right direction. And I think the Rays are susceptible to having a down year on their own uh, expectations. So, mm -hmm. and I think the Yankees, if, you know, they're a couple injuries away to that starter rotation to being an average team, an average team, at least pitching wise. So, well, to wrap it all up in a pretty bow, 
I'm going to ask you for two teams that are busts. And I know you've kind of talked a little bit, you know, hinted around the bush of these guys, but two teams are busts and then your World Series predicted. Yeah. So my AL bust team would be the Astros, uh, mainly because they've been good for so long, but they're just coming into this season fighting injuries. I mean, they're not going to have Verlander all this season. They lost Springer. So I think they're very susceptible to uh, to definitely regressing a lot. They don't really have a center fielder who can produce anything. You know, Ileski Guriel is only getting older and less productive at the plate. Zach Greinke is only getting older. So I think they're definitely a team to backslide a bit because they're always looked at as a favorite. And I don't think you can do that this year. Mm-hmm. And for my NL team, I'm not sure whether they're a bust because – I think most diehard baseball fans aren't really expecting much from them, but based on their payroll and the names are on this team, I think you would have expected them to do better. But I think the Cubs are going to be bust this season because you can still look at that lineup and be like, that's an amazing lineup. But then you look at that starting rotation and bullpen and you're like, that's awful. So I think the the Chicago Cubs are definitely going to, uh, definitely going to fall back this year and they're definitely going to be big sellers at the deadline whether they're going to move Javi Baez or, or Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo or, or Kyle Hendricks is uh is unknown but I think they're definitely my bust team for the NL and if you had to pick two teams into the World Series who are they and who wins so the AL is a bit harder to predict just personally speaking because as I said earlier I, there's less world series type teams in my opinion. Um, but if I had to kind of pick a world series team to come out of the AL, Oh boy. Oh boy. I'm not married to this pick and I'll probably regret it, but I'm going to pick the athletics. Wow. Write that down. Write that down. And that is a shout actually, because nothing's telling me that to go with them, but I just think that they have, a starter rotation who's still decently young and has a lot of upside and their offense is still anchored by Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. So they definitely have the ability to kind of drive in runs. Now that I'm talking myself into that, I'm less married to this pick because they do don't we, really have a shortstop, but do we put money on it. Do we put five bucks on it right now? Only I'm, because only because I said I'm wavering now you're now you're bringing out the money because you're like, Oh, maybe I'll make some money here. Five bucks. We uh, we can talk about this later. Um, but as for the NL, and that's only, I'm literally saying that to, to procrastinate because I don't want to put money on the athletics. Oh, but, dude, not that but, great either. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely, definitely a bigger pick. But I think for the NL, it's, I, I got us. This isn't really a controversial pick, but I'm going to pick the baby Braves. So I, I think it's the baby Braves over the Dodgers in the NL final. So really, and, and, that is, and that is tough to pick anyone against the Dodgers because they are just such a juggernaut and just their rotation is just stupidly deep. But I think the baby Braves, as everyone saw, they just have, they have just so much talent as well that they can definitely, uh, definitely take a run at the Dodgers. And so does that mean that you're going to, is your prediction, the world series winners are going to be the Braves? Is that your vibe? That's, That's the my pick. Vibe. That's my Ooh. pick, yeah. Now, uh, I'm actually pretty married to that pick uh, because there's only a few teams that anyone could actually say with a straight face is having a World Series contending roster. Dodgers are being one of them. The Braves yeah. would be one of them. So it's not too, too – I'm not going out on them too much, but, yeah, my pick would be the Braves. But if you were to pick based on zero inside knowledge and just feeling, what are you, what are you thinking? What is your World Series prediction? Oh, bro. Absolutely no idea. Um, I, I, this, you know, I kind of apply my betting technique to it, which is the same way that I, I bet on the UFC fights, which is not to win, but to possibly make the most money. Like I bet on, I put 10 bucks on steep aid. Well, no. So it was, it was 10 bucks on steep aid to win and both fighters to get knocked down because I would have made, I think I was like, make 70. It was like 70 bucks. But I also said that it would end in the fifth round. I at no point thought it was going to end in the fifth round. 
but I would have made 250 if I if it did go to the fifth round. So and I don't so you bet... lost every single bet. Yes. But the possible win, the possible win, we are talking, we're talking almost 300 bucks, which would have been worth it. Um, so I think the same way when it comes to the World Series. And I'm like, what team is probably not going to do it, but is probably a secretly good shout and, and worth putting the money on? The White Sox. Why? Because it's a stretch. But I don't know. I don't know. It's not too much of a stretch, to be honest. I think they were probably one of the favorites to come out of the AL. Well, they. But I don't. I think the point. The point is, is that from all I've read of the baseball, which I'll admit has been limited to an extent, no one is looking at an AL to AL team to win, and I don't think anyone really thinks an AL team is going to win in the near future. And I. But though, I will say, I think if there is an AL team that's going to win in the near future. It will be the Toronto Blue Jays because of how good their core is if they get a good starting pitching. Yeah, yeah, I would say however good the, the Jays' core is, the White Sox are probably just a bit better. But And that's why I'm going to put five bucks on the White Sox to win the World Series. Fair enough. That's, I mean, you heard it here first. So when I'm a rich son of a gun living in Malibu, um, because I think everybody once you make money you have to have to move to malibu was this two and a half men oh it is but it's the remake so it's not very good um (laughs) i don't know that's something about the white Sox. um mostly because i saw rookie of the year the movie and it was about the cubs and that's always a classic so you have to go what's not a classic the white Sox winning the world series there Fair you enough. And there's a, there's a nice pretty bow on the end of our baseball discussion. See, and that was a lot of, that was a lot of baseball talk. Like I think most people fell asleep and snoozed, but wait till we talk about cricket. That's where we come into our own. That's where this podcast takes off and goes truly international. Cause I know we're in seven countries right now. That's right. Seven countries. Um, but cricket will be the answer. Cricket is always the answer. If in doubt, turn to cricket. Or curling. Curling was on fire last night. I don't know if anyone watched the curling last night, but that was back and forth, Canada, Sweden. That was... I mean, literally, literally back and forth. Like, they went literally back and forth. It was crazy. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. Yeah, it it was a lot of back and forth. And yeah, and like, did they sweep? Hell yeah, they did. And on that note, it's, it brings us to the end of another episode. I'm Ollie. That's James. I realize we barely say our voices in this or like who we are or what we do, uh, apart from being bums. Um, so I'm Ollie. That's James. This has been the Halftime Brucey's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As always hit subscribe hit like give us a rating give us a comment whatever you want to do whatever you want i'm sorry james started eating some day-old banana bread in the middle of my clothes and that was probably the best clothes that we'd had and now uh i can't even think straight so just please thank you please thank you i don't know that's it that's all we got folks have a good night have a good day i don't know when you're listening to i'm just going to stop recording at this point Bye for now.